0: Everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today we'll explore the positive influence that working parents and schools can have in promoting healthy eating to the rising generation. Here to help us do that is Jenny Tishy, a nutrition expert and founder of The Lunchbox Doctor. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others as well as our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform for new content as it becomes available. Please also check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some free resources as you begin your health journey. Jenny Tishi, welcome to Food Experience Unplugged.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, we are so excited to, to hear from you as the lunchbox doctor so we look forward to hearing a little bit about about how that got started as well and and things that you're doing to promote healthy eating among with children with with schools with other other demographics and, and areas so to begin with will you um, introduce yourself a little bit and and what brought you to this point and what why the I guess why the lunch Box doctor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I am a nutritionist based in the UK, and I have a background in sport. So I used to play high-level field hockey, and that's how I got into nutrition in the first place. But it took me to go towards a corporate career um, at the same time as playing uh, national league field hockey, and then I got injured to realise that I was on the wrong track. So I studied nutrition at the same time. I had two children. And so it took me six years to complete the four-year course. And then when my children, my eldest, went to go to school, I realised that the sorts of things that we'd been eating at home were not reflected in what was considered the norm at school. So when it came to packing a lunch for her, I thought she was going to have to either try and conform to what everybody else was doing or she would stick with what we were doing at home, but I might have to prepare her for maybe people teasing or or whatever but when I started talking about what I was doing online it became pretty evident pretty quickly that I wasn't the only parent feeling this way and that lots of parents wanted to try and put better things into a lunchbox and then I became known sort of inadvertently as the lunchbox doctor which is a lot easier to remember and spell than my surname so it stuck.
0: Now what you mentioned there was kind of a disparity between you know things that you were serving at home to the kids versus what they were getting at lunch uh, at school or offerings or what other kids were eating at school what exactly was that disparity so to speak.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? If you go into any supermarket and look for foods that have the phrase on them "ideal for lunchboxes," you would be very, uh, I think, bemused to find the ingredients of those foods are so far removed from what we think of as healthy foods and nourishing foods for our children. You know, we've got growing children, and one of the things that I found is if I went into any any of the supermarkets here and picked up those foods. I would find that they were long life. So you know, they had got extra sort of additives, preservatives in them. They were individually packaged, which now when we think about what we know about the environment doesn't make any sense either. And they generally were very high in sugars, refined carbohydrates. They lacked any of their fresh fruit and vegetable type nutrients and lacked a lot of protein as well. And if you were to serve your child that, which, you know, again, when I looked around and even actually I looked at research to back up kind of what I was saying at the time and found that the majority, the vast majority of lunchboxes incorporate a white bread sandwich and literally two fillings. And that's ham or cheese. And there was no other um, option, really. People were just putting ham or cheese, you know don't we get bored when we have the same thing every day? Don't you think your child We get bored having the same thing every day? And then a packet of what we call crisps, but you call chips, and then a chocolate bar or a cereal bar, or maybe a And one of the things I remember from when I was a child was there was a, a small section of yogurts um, that you could choose from. And some of them weren't great, but it was only a small section. And now there's an entire aisle of, of yogurts and they're not even... What I would consider yogurt, they're like desserts with chocolate balls and you know, candy Mm -hmm. that you would add in and you know, so, so all of those things combined, when you actually broke it down into the nutrient value that was being provided to a child, it was so lacking in so many vital nutrients. And then I was thinking, well, hold on, that's a whole meal of the day, that's a wasted opportunity. Um so trying to find better ways that weren't that far removed from what people were used to, whether it was perhaps using better bread or thinking about more diverse range of fillings um, or thinking about, you know, dare I say it, it's not that strange, perhaps to us adults, but leftovers from the night before, you know. So just <laughs> trying to encourage people and in a really simple, easy to understand and approachable and accessible way. And it just seemed to work with people. And so that sort of seems to have been, you know, the way that people have connected, particularly parents and teachers have connected with what I do.
0: Mm. Okay, well I love that. They're just kind of looking and that's based on your, you know, knowledge of course with your nutrition background and as a parent, you know, what do you really, you know, want your children children eating that? Mm-hmm. Um how was that um when you um you know, when you noticed that disparity? How how did you transition, you mentioned, you know, you note, first noticed the difference between the meals that you were serving at home and, and at school. Um, how uh, how did you transition and how did you, I guess, transition the kids as well to kind of really focus in on, on the healthy eating part?
1: So. A lot of the parents that I spoke to back in the early days were sort of thinking of me initially as, a, as another parent. I was fairly newly qualified. Um, and I would have those discussions around, you know, ways and just anecdotal evidence, really, ways in which I had worked, you know, with my own children to encourage them. But what I found over the course of time is that you need consistency and you need routine around things. It's what most of us rely on and find it much easier to engage with. So I started putting in, in place a framework now, the good thing about the framework, which is I call Lunchbox Bingo, is it's a planning tool and that both children and adults can engage with it. But what it allows children to do is feel like they're in control. And mm. I know this has been mentioned before, I'm sure, in many uh, contexts. But if you give children the option, two options, they've still got a choice. It might be two (laughs) options that you are entirely happy with and you have those options available or at least you could put them together pretty quickly and easily. But you give Mm. children two options, they've got a choice. You give them one option, they don't want it, it's stuck. So Mm. it's about giving children an element of control and that helps them become part of the decision-making process and allows them to feel like they're part of the decision-making process. But it's also a framework that you can all, almost like a sort of uh, a very loose contract, if you like, that you can all sort of focus on and, and use together um so this lunchbox bingo framework i mean i've used it with you know executives of uh, a pipe profile companies and i've used it with the guys that are out on the road fixing electricity wires and i've used it with children in nursery children in uh, you know what we call primary or senior school here older children and and it just works um so yeah still use it to this day <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I love that. Just in how it's versatile, you know, it's at the, the, for your children, you know, you're giving them a choice, but then, you know, you're the adults probably, you know, they find it fun and hopefully educational as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. So they um, essentially with your own children, you, you have packed them a lunch to take to school and they're, they were, you know, able to choose you know what their what was in their bo- lunchbox
1: yeah so back in the early days it was about me making the lunches but I'm very keen that that decision making becomes actual action at some point and I'd say probably say my 15 year old around the age of about 10 started taking the responsibility on herself to make her own lunches and that's worked really well and she'll still make her own lunches and sometimes lunches for her friends um <laughs> but my my younger child my son he wouldn't necessarily even now even though he's nearly 13 <laughs> still yeah. make them every day himself he might you know contribute a little but not not to the same degree so you know that's based on the personality of the child that the person that we're talking about but certainly I think it's to be encouraged to you know to get children in the kitchen as young as possible um yeah he's he actually really does enjoy cooking and cooks really really well certain things so he's, he's probably got more joy from cooking than she has but certainly I think get children into the kitchen as young as possible get them familiarized you know with the obviously with adult supervision with knife skills um, and, and get them to understand some simple things like the basis for a soup or the basis for a curry, all of which, by the way, should be things that you would think about putting in a lunchbox. We're not constrained to cold food. We're uh, allowed to also to take in hot food, which is really important to remember too.
0: Oh, yes. Good point. So, yes, the range of foods is is, uh, pretty much limitless, I would say. Well, within reason. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think you
1: have to be um, aware of the potential to to make a room quite smelly. The children in school, (laughs) in normal times, are sat quite closely to one another, and something like egg or tuna – can upset not any children, but I, I hear that in offices where people eat Aldesco, and they find themselves <laughs> sat next to a colleague with something that uh, is a bit smelly, and they don't really enjoy the experience. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Oh, Now, now, just kind of backing up a little bit, what are, you know, with um, working parents, there's, you've got all different schedules, they're trying to, they themselves are trying to eat healthier perhaps, much less trying to trying to put healthy food into the kids. But what are some what are some common mistakes that you've seen with with your own clients or or just observation as to um, you know they're trying to to help their, their children to eat healthy. Are there some common things that that, that maybe uh, are, are not so helpful?
1: Absolutely. I think um, a few things to, to bear in mind here. I think people, parents, underestimate the influence that they have as role models on their children. So the first thing I always say to people is regardless of your own relationship with food and particularly your own relationship with weight, don't discuss those things in your children's hearing because that can really have an effect on them. And I've seen that with clients and clients' children and they will admit it. You know, it does. It is something that follows through. But I think a really important thing to consider is that we feed our children the same food as ourselves. I'm a big fan of not designating food as children's food. I don't like the idea that we go to restaurants and there's a separate menu for children and that the children's menu is, you know, essentially junk food on the whole. And I understand the need for smaller portions but certain adults need smaller portions too. So let's just do half portions from the main menu. But when you're at home, I highly recommend people eat together. now I know that's not always possible. We've got different schedules. We might have one parent coming back very late. We might have two parents coming back very late. But if a responsible adult can sit down and eat with the children and seemingly eat the same food or some of the same food at a time that is appropriate for the youngest child as the sort of least common denominator, then go with that. So that's what I would highly recommend. So making sure that we all eat the same in sort of an integrated way. And, you know, the point I made earlier on about choice, you know, children do like to have some choice. So it might be a case of offering this or that on Tuesday evening for dinner, or it might be a case of saying, look, we have got... This opportunity to have this sort of meal, and we'll put it all in we'll put all of the component parts in the center of the table, and you take what you want, and then they are in control of whether they have the mushrooms or whether they don't like the texture of the mushrooms or whether they have the broccoli or broccoli's not for them that particular evening. So it's about kind of control from the child's perspective, choice and options from the child's perspective. Give them all of that, but in a very kind of, you know, constrained way so that it's still not getting out of hand and you're not having to prepare different meals for different children which to my mind would be an absolute horror. You know, I create enough <laughs> meal. I don't need to create any more. Um, so, so certainly those would be things that I would recommend. But look, people are busy and they don't have much time to prepare. So I've written two cookery books uh, so far. One is called Sheep Pan Cooking and the other one is currently called The Modern Multi-Cooker Cookbook, which is based on the Instant Pot. And I'm a big fan of both methods of cooking. One pot, one pan for busy people It's got to be the way forward where you are limiting the amount of washing up at the end of the meal, limiting the amount of intervention required. And quite frankly, when you come in at the end of a day, you can get whatever meal it is in the oven, in the pot, go upstairs or go to your room, get changed and actually relax and enjoy a meal together. It's not a stressful thing and it shouldn't be.
0: Mm, Excellent. I love that. Just kind of making it easy, especially with with working parents that that don't have too much time so maybe a little more on the weekends, but that's, lo- I love that with the, you know, the one pan or the Instant Pot, that that's fantastic to just really, really focus in on, on that. And now what are some, um, are there some success stories that you've uh, worked with, with, you know, just different clients of really how that, you know, how parents have, have instilled healthy eating? on on their children and hopefully it's a little bit of recipro- reciprocity and uh yeah in that too
1: there, there certainly are so so we have both i have both clinical experience and anecdotal um i'll talk about the anecdotal first which is uh one of my uh children's friends my daughter's friends mom the mom of the family will openly admit that she has a very limited diet herself talked a lot about weight when she when the kids were younger and her child grew up quite fussy. and But she then found herself in a position that her child wouldn't eat very many things. And when she came to our house, she would try lots of different things. Now she's, you know, bordering on adulthood herself. She's taken some of the things that she's eaten with us and she prepares them for her own family. And that to me is just a lovely, lovely story. You know, so she's gone from being very restricted in what she will have to being much wider in her range. And not only that, but an interest in wanting to prepare the meals herself. But clinically, I've come across lots of different families, lots of different parents. Now, remember that when people come and see me, they typically have a health issue. So their child Mm. may have problem with mood and mind disorders they may have what they believe to be a food allergy or food intolerance Uh, they may have digestive issues and so quite often and this this shouldn't be forgotten but uh, fussiness around food and uh, and dislike and a distaste of certain flavors or textures can quite often be related to nutrient deficiencies or gut imbalances and so I work with the children on those areas as well and you know really important to remember that from a digestive perspective and many many children have been far overexposed to antibiotics in their short lives and that has unsettled the balance of bacteria within the gut and that does lead them to crave more carbohydrate rich sugar rich foods and not to want to feed the body with the very foods that are actually going to help the good bacteria to thrive so turning that balance around and actually you know generally speaking getting the whole family eating more probiotic and prebiotic food sources and can can reap rewards for those that didn't even think they had a problem in the first place so that's that's a nice way that it you know, has worked as well um, so yeah certainly there are um, you know digestive issues and nutrient deficiencies that I work with multiple clients and really help them get on back on track. Not just with supplementation, but also with diet and lifestyle advice as well.
0: Mm, okay, I love that. So basically, just kind of addressing the the health issue to begin with, addressing that that whatever is causing that, and then turning around and exploring the exploring other other healthy eating. Options per se than, than perhaps what they were used to as a uh, when they weren't feeling too good. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There will be certain things that prevent a child. I mean, I've come across children who are, for example, low in iron and low in zinc, and both of those affect your ability to taste um, and your desire to, to to eat a wide range. Of foods, zinc is very much linked to our sense of taste and smell. In fact, it's one of the things that seems to be coming out in relation to those that have suffered from COVID nineteen and have taste and smell loss over a longer period of time. And if we can get those levels of zinc and iron replenished, and then you start to see changes, even in that simple, uh, in simple terms, you can see changes in what the child is willing to consume. And then, like I say, if a child has, I mean, quite quite a common one is a problem with dairy. I come across that an awful lot. You know, there just are people that cannot tolerate dairy whether that's the protein in dairy or whether it's lactose the sugar in dairy, but again, if you remove that for a period of time, and then sometimes we can reintroduce it, and sometimes we can't. But that simple step as well can really expand a child's um, you know range of different foods that they want to eat. And strangely, when they do have uh, an intolerance, sometimes a child can crave the food more because it has a sort of almost like an opiate-like like effect on the brain. And mm-hmm. so, particularly with children who have dairy intolerance, quite often they'll drink copious amounts of milk. So by removing the one thing that may be causing them problems, you can reap great
0: benefits. Oh, absolutely. Now are you finding a lot of uh food intoler- intolerances or or gut issues um in, in really young children or is there a certain uh demographic per se within the, within the childhood range? That you're seeing? I would
1: say it's fairly, uh, you know, across most, most age ranges that there are issues. It does take a while in some for it to be noticed. Um, in younger children that have come from parents who are atopic, so have atopic diseases like eczema, asthma, etc., they do seem to show signs of problems with certain foods, certain ingredients at a younger age, so that will be fairly visible. It could be a food allergy, um, it could be eczema, it could be um, asthma, but when they get older, it they've been overexposed due to persistent ear infections or persistent tonsillitis to antibiotics sometimes the problems then don't seem to arise until they've had dare I say the opportunity to you know pick up something unwanted or an unwanted bacterial overgrowth Um, it may be even parasites you know um, which are way more common than people think and that can really affect a child's appetite it can affect their weight it can affect their certainly can affect their mood and mind symptoms as well
0: Mm, absolutely. So it's important. I would imagine. Hopefully, the the parents are recognizing that. Are they recognizing that um, as a nutritional issue, or do they tend to go to their uh, their practitioner, uh, their general practitioner, to begin with, and then are kind of referred, I guess, to you or or, or you know one of your colleagues.
1: Yeah, I would say certainly the latter. Unfortunately, I think most people, if they feel that even if it is, um, you know, a general blood test that reveals low levels of a particular nutrient, they generally feel that it's got to be based on a sort of a medical uh, problem, and they don't necessarily look at bacterial imbalance in the gut, and they don't necessarily look at, at problems with foods. And and dare I say it, that's because the worlds of you know medicine and, and nutrition are different, and they're taught differently. And um, you'll speak to most you know general practitioners, and they will say, you know, that's a sort of of a in the UK that's a a doctor that would be the first line that would be the person you go to with any ailment wouldn't understand because they didn't have that in their training so you do need people who are trained in, in this area to be able to work with those individuals to get them back on track and it's a much more you do need a more of a hand holding process. So I work with a variety of different people. I have a, a colleague who specialises uh, pretty much solely in working with children who are on the autistic spectrum, and she does some amazing things to get them back on track. And you know, autistic spectrum children can be very, very particular about textures, about flavours, and she can do wonders with them.
0: Mm, interesting. That's that's really good. That they're you know addressing things from a nutritional aspect. Are there other examples where uh, people are kind of um, becoming more informed about nutritional factors, so that that they kind of turn to that that first?
1: I would say that most in most cases people try, that people are interested in keeping healthy. But when something goes wrong, they don't automatically think of nutrition as the area that it needs addressing, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. um, quite often, for example, someone with chronic fatigue syndrome will go to the doctor in the first instance, but they will reach a point where... They either rely on medication for the rest of their lives or they decide that actually diet does have some contribution. I'm not saying all. I think when I work, uh, I do a lot of corporate well being as part of my job. And when I work um, in corporate well being, I tend to work very much alongside experts in other areas. So quite often we'll have a conversation about different people, different cases. Um, So sleep is obviously a really important element, exercise is a really important element, mindfulness and mental health, very important. So all of those things need to be taken into consideration. Quite often, I would say, despite the fact people believe in the idea of eating well for weight, to prevent obesity, to prevent diabetes, cancer, heart problems, stroke they don't necessarily think about the here and the now when something goes wrong i do think that's changed slightly with covid-19 i see a number of people who have been able to pinpoint nutrient deficiencies in relation to symptoms and certainly the evidence that's coming out right now i mean obviously it's uh, quite young this this evidence and research but it is coming out so it's showing you know, things like potassium deficiency zinc deficiency etc can contribute to worse variety of symptoms amongst certain individuals and certainly if you're you know diabetic or obese you're much more prone to the worst symptoms of COVID-19 so there's certainly I think a greater realization that there's a far shorter term benefit to eating well and it can actually turn things around for you when you get your nutrient deficiency gaps met bridged if you like.
0: Sure absolutely And now what can, um, with working parents, how can they be more proactive, I guess, in, in kind of in seeing, you know, nutritional, the nutritional aspect of health? I think, the
1: most, I think the most important thing you know, as a working parent myself is don't give yourself a hard time. We have so many things that we're meant to do and so many things that if we don't do perfectly, we feel guilty about. There is no perfect when it comes to you know feeding your children great food. But I think mm-hmm. food is something certainly to be enjoyed. And one of the, the one of the areas that I'm very passionate about uh, what are called the blue zones, Um, those are the areas where uh, there's a significant number of people um, in areas around the world that live to over 100 years of age and the scientist Dan Butner has looked at why they live to over 100 years of age and in that uh, research he realizes or has realized that people having a sort of a meal together, eating local, eating seasonal, you know, being in tune with the food that they eat is actually really important, probably far more important than worrying about calories and carbs and protein and this and that, the other. And, you know, as a nutritionist, I, I still, I've come at this from an angle of wanting to have this wonderful, I'm, I'm a foodie, I love <laughs> great food, you know. So, my happy times are eating together as a family. So very much the the advice I'm going to give is, is is about trying to enjoy things. So parents that are busy, that are working, you know, the simplest thing, if you can all eat together, eat the same meal each time. If you, yeah, maybe have a few compromises here and there, but just enjoy, you know, food in a social setting. That's where you are going to have the best family time, the best conversations, the most revealing revelations um you know particularly from you know, younger members of the family who feel they can say mm-hmm. things through a mouthful of food that they might not say otherwise, um, but don't, <laughs> don't make it harder than it needs to be. That would be my advice,
0: sure, absolutely that's fantastic, yes, it's just kind of kind of small steps, I suppose, to just yeah. kind of kind of work your way into it now have you what are um have you seen? Uh, families, you know, where, you know, maybe they're not, they're not so keen on, on cooking and mealtime and, you know, how they've, how they've turned around to kind of recognizing that. And then, you know, of course, instilling that on, on their children.
1: I certainly have. And uh, of course, the situation that was forced upon all of us, which was uh, lockdown where we couldn't go anywhere and we actually had to start cooking at a home. I think Forced a lot of people's hands, and people did have to cook a little bit more. And certainly, I think some people have sort of found a, a love of cooking again where they didn't previously because they didn't think they had time. But equally, I have definitely come across families. I work, I'm very lucky to work with a lot of our Olympic athletes. Um, mm-hmm through a variety of different programs that I work with and one of the things that they all have in common because of their training schedules and where they're training is a lack of time but a greater need for good quality food the most and so with those families trying to find ways you know the quick and the easy including if they have to stop at, you know if you're on a, uh, we've got motorways here or autoroutes you know if you're if you're on a, a major road and you need to stop and grab something what is a better option to grab what could you be taking with you so you know whether it's a a thermos flask with some soup or you know with some uh, protein like falafel or a chicken or whatever it is how can I help that family to take with them what they need and so that it is portable and they can eat it on the go and certainly a little bit of knowledge goes a long way as far as those people are concerned particularly people like triathlon uh, triathletes and rowers who are expending so much energy Mm -hmm and they just need food when they need food. So ensuring that that food is available to them and in a portable format is absolutely key. So yeah, certainly, and uh, I managed to help families move to to that way. But the other consideration, of course, is budget. You know, particularly, again, if we're thinking of people that may have been, may have lost their jobs, may have lost some income into their household. Uh, If We're thinking about young people who are about to leave home. Further education for the first time you know what is what can they afford what's what's available to them that they can afford and so i've started now running courses for home leavers to teach them simple things around plant-based proteins because we know that things like uh, um, you know peas and beans and pulses are a lot cheaper uh, than other forms of protein but also maybe how what they can do with eggs and what they can find in terms of better quality but perhaps the less commonly eaten parts of an animal um, you know those <laughs> sort of things can be really important skills.
0: Sure absolutely I love that that just kind of having that having that knowledge base or that reservoir uh, if yeah. you will of just what what to do when you're you know out at college for the first time or, or other things so they're able to and i love with the athletes so it's not a necessarily a question of you know it's, i guess it's a balance between you know being able to, to take foods with you or if you're out on the road as you say just kind of being able to identify good foods or healthier options that that are going yeah. to give them the 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 energy that they need
1: absolutely and the interesting thing about uh working with athletes is that they travel and they travel a lot to foreign countries mm-hmm. so even finding safe and healthy foods things that are going to be in a tin or a can rather than you know necessarily always buying fresh bizarrely you know we do need to think about things like that so yeah working with uh with british athletes can be quite a challenge particularly those that travel a lot
0: sure absolutely absolutely so, and on the, on the corporate side, you, you kind of focus more on, of course, the adult nutrition, but they, you know, they themselves have, you know, the, their own families as well to, to, to address. Do you find that, you know, what you're teaching them, are they, um, you know, passing along to, to the next generation?
1: I love it when that happens. Yes, I do. I get <laughs> pictures of people taking I, I, my daughter made this or I made this for my daughter or, or I made this with my with my son. I love stuff like that when it happens. Um, I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but certainly, you know, you're absolutely right. Most people um, that I'm working with will have either their own children or they have a niece or nephew or someone in their family who, who can benefit from nutritional advice often in relation to a sport or, you know, an activity that they do, but equally it can be in relation to fussy eating, which, you know, is discussed amongst families. It becomes a bit of a, a, an item for discussion. So yeah, certainly I find that the um, access that I have to people in the corporate workplace certainly does reach further than the people themselves.
0: Are there any other tips that for working parents instilling healthy eating in their children, being a being a good example to them or, or th- other things that they can do that, that they may not have necessarily thought of?
1: I think one of the most important things is exposure. So a lot of people these days will buy their food online and it will arrive entirely packaged. Mm-hmm. And unless it's a familiar brand, a lot of children won't go anywhere near it. So to expose children in order that they become more familiar with foods and ingredients Taking them on a fairly regular basis to a farmer's market, taking them shopping with you to an actual bricks and mortar shop can be really helpful where they get to see produce. Maybe even, you know, if you're lucky, I mean, I, I know some children enjoy watching cooking videos, but in their own way. So if we think about the different social media platforms, yeah, a lot of children are engaging with TikTok. A lot of adults are not. But TikTok is fantastic for young people children who want short snippets on how to cook various different things so helping your children to understand you know do they really want to know anymore are they happy just with this limited amount of knowledge but even so exposing them so at least they have the choice so taking them to a market taking them to the supermarket with you and just you know talking in a really positive way or you know trying out new things when you have your sort of weekly food plan maybe adding in a new ingredient or you know exposing them to a slightly different Carbohydrate, whether it's sort of maybe couscous one week and you know rice another, so that it just broadens their palate a little bit.
0: Mm, okay. And did, did you uh, over the years your your children are a little bit older now, but over the years did you um, you know expose your children? You think to to a wide range, or are there are there things maybe unique to your family that that you did to kind of enhance their their eating options?
1: Well, we, we're quite lucky that we have uh, France on our doorstep. <laughs> and we are able to pop over to France on a fairly regular basis. So I would say most of my children's what we'll call extreme exposure to different foods has happened in France. Um, so there, yes, they've eaten anything from, you know, sweetbreads through to brain, uh, through to octopus. They're, they've been quite well exposed over the over the years and they are grateful for that, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but certainly it is very much, you know, what we do as a, as a family, we do eat a wide variety of different things. Um, We're a very big family, so there's lots of different influences and that just is the way that we we've always been. And thank goodness. It's just carried on with my own children as well.
0: That's fantastic. I love that. Just really having their own, their own flair. They're developing their own unique, uh, unique recipes or eating habits. And that's fantastic. Love it. So so Jenny, how can people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about your work?
1: So I'm at lunchboxdoctor, that's all one word, dot com.
0: Okay, wonderful. So we will include that in the show notes. And we are so grateful, Jenny, for your work with, with children and with corporate and with, with families of, of all shapes and sizes. And uh, we're we really grateful for, for helping. For you helping them to kind of instill instill healthy eating, kind of lighting the spark, so to speak, with healthy eating, that's fantastic.
1: Well, thank you um, for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Uh, I'm very appreciative.
0: Great.